stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Vince Means, blockchain evangelist. Welcome to the show, Vince. Thank you very much. It's great to have you on the show. I'd love, if you would, before we talk about the power of blockchain, talk about you and let us know a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I started out as a, as a software developer, like I think like 15, 16 years ago. And around 2011, 2012, I got into the, the crypto space. So around 2012, we, uh, we started working on this uh, exchange here in Europe called btcdirect.eu. That's going pretty well, of course, right now. Um, on the other hand, uh, since the December last year, I started running this uh, blockchain incubator and accelerator here in the Netherlands to really help all kinds of startups to start working on blockchain, uh, blockchain-based business models and uh, apply it in, uh, in real life. And another thing is a project called Mobotic, which is uh, self-driving pods that are fully open source, open hardware and uh, based on, uh, on the blockchain and how they transact and, uh, and pay for their rights and pay for their maintenance and so on. You were a real early adopter with all this technology. And, you know, one of the things I heard you speak about before is that you see it as this collective brain. But when I heard you speaking, it reminded me and we both played Lego as kids as the green slate at the bottom on which you build everything. And it's up to you and your imagination how you put that together. I'd love if you would, Vince, tell us a little bit about how you see blockchain as this collective brain. Yeah, so I always try to explain blockchain to people in the, the simplest way. So for me, the metaphor um, is, is easiest if you compare it to the human body. That right now, uh, the internet was basically like the, the blood vessels and the nervous system, which created all the connections between all points in the body. And the blockchain actually is like a, a memory of, uh, of all the things that get exchanged and um, uh, a logic to, to work with all this, uh, this data that is, is collected. So it can be compared to the brain. So for the first time, I really feel like uh, we as humans, we get this collective uh, intelligence that is broader than all of us uh, and that is learning constantly from everything that we do. So uh, from, uh, from an evolution perspective, I think we're, uh, we're going to enter an amazing age where um, uh, yeah, intelligence is something that we, we're going to see collectively instead of individually. So all the other previous technologies were just improvements, but this is, this is a paradigm shift. This is how you see it. The metaphor I always use is if you look at the printing press or if you look at the uh, radio and all these things, it was always an update of the infrastructure to connect, so of the, um, uh, the roads and the, the network, so to say. Now, this is really something new. This, in combination with artificial intelligence, I think it's, uh, it's going to be like the next level in, uh, in development for us humans. So how do you see that working then, Vince? So what kind of changes are we going to see from the world we know today? I think uh, one of the biggest things for me is um, I invented this word called uh, volatization, which basically means that everything around us will start having uh, uh, basically its own bank account or its own wallet on the blockchain and thereby will start becoming an autonomous asset that will start doing its own transactions. So I really foresee this future where if I walk into a building, every light bulb, every door, every room, uh, it's basically its own entity that's, that you start transacting with. Maybe you start paying for light uh, for every uh, second that you're sitting under it and the light bulb starts paying to the room and the room starts paying to the building. All these kind of interactions that 
now are way too uh, too much hassle to administer. Um, uh, they will become uh, uh, easy to do in the blockchain. So I think this is one thing. This makes it also very easy to start sharing a lot of things. So if uh, if a car has its own bank account, basically, and people that have uh, have uh, have a wallet on the blockchain, they can do transactions to this car and they can go into contracts with this car on um, yeah on a very low barrier way. I think it will become super, super easy to start sharing all these things around us instead of seeing it as a hassle to, to lend it out to a stranger. So we see this all the time with innovation and changing the paradigm. That yeah. There's so much vested interest, Vince, and there's so much status quo because people are incentivized to keep things as they are. How are we going to get around those things? I think in, uh, I, I really like the quote from Buckminster Fuller, that if you want to fight something, you better come up with a totally new idea that makes the old one obsolete. And I think it's going to go go down like that. Uh, so, for example, uh, if you look look at renting a car purely from a price perspective, uh, a rental company might have a high price to rent it out because it still has this human factor in between to sign a rental contract and to to assess the risk and all these things. Whereas a, a fully software-based solution based on the blockchain might make it way way cheaper. I think with a lot of these cases, like uh, uh, the price point of of a blockchain-based solution will be cheaper and therefore. The transition will become, uh, uh, yeah, become a lot easier instead of needing to fight with something that's more highly priced or, uh, or something like that. You see as well sharing. So obviously, if I have excess in any way, which we all do, we have excess of some things and not enough of others. You see the blockchain as a way for everybody to share that. I fully believe in an uh, abundant future, so to say. What we have now is artificial scarcity, so to say. If you if you look at cars again as an example. I find it ridiculous that most of the cars stand still 95% of the time, whereas we could easily uh, yeah, utilize them way more. So for me, uh, I think it's just a matter of transition from stepping away from this thought of needing to own everything as a human or as a company uh, and start shifting towards accessing all these things. I think there in the future, there is no more uh, gain from being the, the exclusive owner to something. It will actually be a hassle. And uh, I think this shift will, will really drive the sharing model forward. We talked to Don Tapscott about a song as its own business. So it will yes. know who's using it, know who's not using it, be able to reward loyalty, etc. and early adopters. How does that work yeah. in your world? Yeah, like uh, for us here, we're also doing pretty extreme examples. So, um, for example, we have a, a fund here in the region that basically maintains uh, the landscapes. Uh, and we're now doing a, a pilot where we're basically giving trees uh, their own mini bank account or their own mini wallet on uh, on the blockchain. And for example, if someone wants to contribute to the landscape, they give a fee of uh, 100 euros a year. We are now developing an app that basically tracks uh, past which uh, trees you walk. And um, uh, once you walk past these trees, it will get registered and, uh, at the end of the year. The, the contribution that you have towards the landscape, it will get evenly distributed to the wallets of the specific trees that you walk past by. And then the next step is that these uh, uh, wallets, they will have their own software to detect if there is enough uh, funds in, the, in their own bank accounts, so to say, to start giving uh, uh, an assignment to a human again to plant the next tree and actually pay for it. And thereby we start shifting the, the, the maintenance of a landscape into a, a software-based approach that basically can go viral based on how people use the landscape. And with, um, with vehicles, we're actually doing the same thing. Like we're creating these self-driving vehicles that have their own wallet again. And they, uh, they take payment for people that want to take rides in them. And they store this value in, uh, in their own uh, bank account. 
And then the next step is that if these vehicles make more money than they need to pay for recharging or they need to pay for updates or upgrades, then they will start giving assignments again to humans to, uh, to build the next vehicle and actually pay for it. And I think this exponential business model where you don't have a central organization pushing something, but just a, a small template of something that can replicate, I think this is going to be one of the most powerful uh, uh, models for new business. I hope to see a lot of these things uh, pop up in the near future. You can see the massive benefit for governments, for example, and the amount of administration and mistakes and transparency yeah. that it will improve and the trust that it will put into a system. For example, public parks, some people yeah. use them, some people don't. With the blockchain, you see an opportunity where it will be self-regulating, it will know who uses it. That means we need to be connected. So going back to what we talked about, the Lego slate, what are the ingredients there? So IoT, Internet of Things, becomes really important. AI becomes important. How do you see all yeah. that coming together, Vince? I think especially the combination of blockchain and AI, I find really, really fascinating. You know, I have this initiative by, um, by Ben Gertzel, singularitynet.io. I don't know if you saw it already. Uh, but basically, this becomes like this marketplace for AIs to start communicating uh, together. Uh, so if one AI cannot find uh, the answer or the solution for something, it can basically go to the marketplace and look for another AI that can. And it can actually start paying for, uh, for uh, each other's services. And I think thereby, like this, this becomes like this really um, uh, organic growing uh, intelligence that is going to develop itself super rapidly. And if it cannot find uh, an AI in the marketplace to, to come up with a solution, it can basically put up a, a bounty for a human to come up with an AI to, uh, to tackle this problem. So I think this interaction is very interesting. On the other hand, it's all going to be about gathering data. So the whole IoT uh, part, I, I think, is super, super important because I really feel we're going to transition away from uh, just having a, a monetary system, but also um, if, you, if you take, for example, the metaphor of a bank account right now, it only holds money. Uh, I think in the future, also your Fitbit and the steps that you do in a day, they will become like a balance on your bank account. So that next time you're going to go for insurance, for example, instead of just paying for it with money, you can also pay, for example, with the balance of the steps that you take. So you pay with your lifestyle. So all these things will start being tracked uh, around you. Another example is here in the building uh, of, of the campus where I now am. We basically have an, um, a thing called uh, Proximica, which basically tracks uh, the location of people inside a building. Um, on the one hand, uh, so we can start mapping out who are the people in the building that walk into other people's offices regularly. So who are the connectors? And we start incentivizing them, for example, with, uh, with cheaper, uh, cheaper rents in, uh, in the building. Then the next step that we're now experimenting with, and it so might sound a bit scary, is that we're also adding an emotional tracker to, uh, to these sensors. So, for example, we're going to measure if you're happy or stressed. And we're going to do an experiment where basically we're going to map out who are the people that bring stress and who are the people that bring happiness in the building. And we're going to start incentivizing people that bring happiness in the community, for example, with, uh, with all kinds of perks and benefits in regards to, uh, to the rent. And we're tracking, uh, for example, if you walk to the coffee machine, um, that if you walk there together with someone that you didn't uh, go to uh, uh, before, the coffee will be free. So we start really measuring out how this building is alive and how people are using it. So IoT is going to become really, really important as well. And the whole thing about IoT and gathering all this data for people to feel comfortable with, I think the, the blockchain was this. This last puzzle piece where I feel like, ah, this data is not going to a Google or to a very centralized entity that is 
uh, going to take too much benefit out of all this uh, uh, profiling that they do. But it's really going to stay my data and uh, I only give access to people that uh, uh, that I want in that moment. So it's like the, the, the blockchain gives this, yeah, this sense of privacy where you still feel comfortable with gathering all this data instead of uh, freaking out that um, basically you're mapping out your whole life. So I think that's a big benefit. Yeah, yeah so privacy then, be, you mentioned it there, becomes really, really important. But also blockchain can be the solution to that, right? Yeah, I think blockchain uh, for me is, is this whole mindset of uh, the individual, again, taking care of their own uh, privacy sen or sensitive data. Uh, like now uh, we use our, uh, our hardware wallets basically uh, only to store our coins, but it, uh, it won't be long until our medical data or our profiling data for advertising or all these things will basically be linked to our, uh, to our wallets on the blockchain. And we will start transacting with, uh, in the future, if I go to an e-commerce platform and I start ordering stuff, then the whole data uh, about my address and the whole data about what I ordered will be stored in my wallet. And I only give access to it, for example, to print the label for the, the postal service um, uh, to, to send it out. Or I will only give access for the order picker in the warehouse to, uh, to select the right goods. And as soon as he did that, I revoke uh, the access to this, to this data. So it will become a super powerful mechanism where this data will not be stored with the companies that I purchase from or interact with. But I, as an individual, I will keep control and I will keep uh, keep my own data uh, with me. So I start becoming more and more comfortable um, uh, with all this data that is um, created around me. And therefore, I really see that in the future, we will have this, this, this bank balance, so to say, of all kinds of data points that we're now not even aware of. Maybe your GPS tracker will hold the balance of the locations that you're in in the near future. And if you need to vote somewhere, you need to prove that at least 60% of your time you're there so that you're a relevant voter for that area, these kind of mechanisms. The existing system, so you mentioned book Mr. Fuller, for the incumbents, people who have that data already, the Apples, the Ubers, people like yeah. that, how are we going to fix that? How are we going to regulate that and get that back onto the open blockchain? For example, with Uber and with uh, Booking.com and Airbnb, uh, you already saw, I thought, I think it was in uh, in Sri Lanka where um, the Uber drivers, they basically kicked out uh, Uber and they came up with a fully decentralized model where they basically fully open sourced the database of drivers and their availability and uh, came up with a blockchain model that was not owned by a central entity uh, running it, but basically by the crowd. And this is something you're going to see in the near future, like I think for every business model. I'm also in... For example, um, interested in uh, Lockchain.co, which is like a, a booking platform for hotels that doesn't take like a central uh, approach where uh, you take like 30 to 70 percent of the booking commission as a platform, and then the the hotel owner only gets a, a small amount. No, it's again a decentralized approach where um, basically the crowd can constantly fill the database, and everyone that interacts with it, they just uh, uh, pay, for example, uh, a fixed fee instead of constantly a fee on the on the bookings and. And therefore, I feel pretty confident that these big players, they will get challenged with decentralized models in the, in the next five years, and they might become obsolete pretty quickly. I think it's very fascinating that the whole speed of how a company can grow and can descend um, is basically now already reduced to maybe 15 years from being a, a multi-billion company coming out of nowhere and uh, basically disappearing again. And it will only get quicker. 
And all the businesses that depend upon this proprietary business model where they have this proprietary database that is only uh, for them and that is their competitive advantage, they will get challenged with a decentralized model where the whole database is the blockchain. The governments are obviously incentivized to keep these big players alive as well. So there's going to be a huge challenge with that. So, for example, you have HQs of a lot of the big companies, the Facebooks, the Googles in Dublin, yes. for example, in Ireland. And the governments are going to be reticent to let that all implode, to let those companies disappear. Do you see them being yes. incentivized to take a step back in order to take a step forward? Yeah, I think the whole model of government is, is going to shift in um, yeah in a lot of ways. So I think the first thing is that um, a lot of crowd-based alternatives will start nibbling at the feet of government and doing certain tasks probably way better. So small local initiatives uh, that are taking over roles of government, like here in the Netherlands, we have small things like where, where neighborhoods take control over things uh, themselves again, of their parks, of their playgrounds, but also of uh, of their sense of security with neighborhood guards, with uh, WhatsApp groups where they do things on their own. All these kind of things will definitely progress and, and start shifting the landscape. The only thing for government I think is, is pretty tricky is the whole taxation mechanism that right now, because a lot of things are centralized, it's, it's relatively easy to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to tax uh, certain entities uh, because they have a, a, yeah, um, a CEO and a, a board with a face and someone you can call up and uh, someone you can hold accountable for things. And that's something that's going to really be uh, tricky if you have these uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, if you have assets that don't have a human or an organization anymore as an owner. Where does this responsibility fall to, uh, to, to, to contribute to, uh, to the whole? So that's something uh, I think uh, it's still something we need to figure out. But I think the whole taxation model will start shifting away from something that you do in hindsight based on some reporting that you create at the end of the year. It will start shifting to um, uh, instant uh, taxation on the moment that you do a transaction, for example. Um, and I think we're going to move away from uh, um, having just this one government that does everything to having... Uh, micro governments as a service that basically do things uh, across uh, across the globe. So I think uh, the most services of government uh, they can be pretty generic no matter what country you're in. So you will start having yeah, government as a service providers basically uh, popping up everywhere and these templates for these DAOs popping up everywhere. And the only thing that's going to maintain is these things that are really really geographically bound uh, that are going to remain in place. But I think for me it's fascinating if you if you Look, for example, at um, something like uh, like Napster uh, back in the days um, uh, with the illegal MP3 downloads. Uh, uh, it was very hard to regulate and it was very hard to stop. Uh, but in the end, it died because it didn't have a financial incentive to keep the, the whole network alive. And this is something with the blockchain, I think, should not be underestimated. The whole concept of mining is pretty genius that it um, yeah that it, it has become this one-way direction so even if as a government you cannot take the stance anymore that it will go away there is an incentive for the crowds to keep this whole thing alive and so you better start paying attention to it or it will uh, will yeah it will bite you in the ass <laughs> nice nice yeah. uh, and and when we're on government then as well ubi yeah. so universal basic income so fast forward maybe 10 20 years and Blockchain is in place. A lot of these yeah. companies you're incubating are in the system. There's decentralization everywhere. Companies have changed yeah. their model. It means a lot of rote tasks have disappeared. There's a lot more people who are being upskilled. In the meantime, 
they're going to need to be subsidized some way and UBI can do that. But you see as well the blockchain being the solution to that as well. It's an interesting thought that like UBI, I think still what's discussed, it's, it's still like a rough uh, version of what it should and could be. Um, I'm, think, I'm thinking maybe in the near future you, uh, you might get a UBI based on, uh, on you as an individual so that, for example, every human being would have its own currency, so to say, that basically uh, devaluates based on all the transactions that you do throughout the lifetime so that everyone gets, for example, an equal start and uh, can decide how they spend, uh, uh, spend their money during their lifetime instead of having this fixed amount uh, for, for everyone um, uh, monthly coming in. Um, I don't know. I think, it's, uh, I think UBI is going to be the way forward, but uh, how it will transition for me, it's very, uh, very uh, difficult to predict. But I do believe it's coming and I, I do believe it's coming quicker than most people uh, realize. That brings me to skill tokens. So, for example, in a UBI world, it's the gig economy. So how does the world of skill tokens fit into that? Yeah, I think uh, for me, the whole perception of paying for things with money, it's going to gradually fade away. Like I said before, we will start having these balances on our wallets or on our bank accounts with totally different uh, indicators. So the skill tokens, I think, is a very, very powerful mechanism. Um, so I'm, I'm a true believer in, uh, in that approach. Um, so uh, I, th I think in the end, it's also going to be not just about literally the work that you do, but about the impact of the work that you do. So even, um, for example, working on something for a couple of hours is not going to be the full recognition you're going to get for that work. It's going to keep accumulating year after year based on the impact that uh, of the thing that you did that it uh, that it made on the world. So, for example, if I um, uh, if I create a, a a car, let's stick with the car example. Um, um, for example, my reward might not be the my my hours that I put into the car or the design that I created, but um, uh, the amount of hours that people actually used it or the uh, the things that they were able to do based on the fact that they had access to that car. And I think these kind of mechanisms will create this mega a context framework for people to uh, to to be valued and to to be uh, respected for what they did and also to start thinking way more long term instead of delivering uh, products or uh, delivering a service just in that moment really thinking about making an impact that will uh, last uh, super long and um, uh, will contribute to the to the greater good yeah and you, you, we see this trend in businesses where it's not becoming so much what the product is, but what the company stands for. And you see the likes of Patagonia, Tom's Shoes yes. in Argentina. Um, yeah. And there's a, you know, a huge drive towards provenance of food, for example. And blockchain, you know, we, after this show, we'll have Shane Riley, who's co-founder of Moye Coffee. And yeah. they're, they're the first uh, company that used Fairchain as a way to, to, to track the provenance. You see this being widespread in companies where they're almost being forced this will be the only way for companies to operate. Yeah, for me, a very simple thing. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm mostly vegetarian, but, uh, but for me, uh, meat is always a great example. That if I would be in a supermarket and I see the, the whole story behind the meat and how it's created and so on, and I see a piece of meat next to it where I cannot see it, of course, I would start distrusting it. And I think products like meat or all kinds of other sensitive uh um, uh, product categories, they will start uh, putting up the standard of transparency and the standard of 
uh, you as a customer being able to audit and being able to look up where it all came from. And once you start expecting it from a couple of products, you will start wondering why it's not with other product categories and we'll, we'll slowly start shifting also to, towards, uh, towards other things. And the thing is that I also don't believe it's just about the, the whole story of the, the product itself, but the fact you purchase this product will make you part of this journey. So, for example, if you purchase a, a sweater from a, a sweatshop in, uh, in Cambodia, it will be registered on the blockchain that I purchased that sweater. So maybe next time I go into a job interview for a, a company that has certain values, they will not ask me for my resume, but they will ask me to prove that I'm not a, a hypocrite, basically, with the consumption that I do that I really live according to the values that they as a company have. I think these kind of mechanisms will start shifting more and more how we uh, start feeling responsible uh, for, uh, for these things. And then another thing is that I, I also feel that once this, this whole journey of a product becomes visible, for example, if I have this sweater on and I can see not only the, the price tag and the, the, the material components of what it was made of, but I can also see how much uh, transport kilometers were involved because I can see every step of the whole supply chain and I can see how many man hours were spent on it and all these kind of things. I will start as a consumer making a different choices based on different value indicators about this product. Maybe in the, the near future, you will start having this limit as a, as a consumer of uh, let's say uh, x hundred thousand transport kilometers on your products, and every time you uh, you purchase something, it will uh, be deducted from this uh, this uh, this limit uh, until you reach it, and then you get, for example, a higher tax uh, tax uh, scale or something like that. I think all these things will become way more important in the in the near future. The one thing that really jumps out to me, Vince, listening to you, is if you zoom up in the helicopter and you look what blockchain does. It brings trust and transparency into the world. And, and context. And Everything gets context. Everything moves away from being an isolated unit or an isolated transaction to something that is connected to everything. That is such a powerful thing. Going back to your analogy of the brain and the body. Yes, absolutely. For example, if you take the sweater again and I can, I can uh, start seeing the whole impact that it has on other human beings and I can start seeing how it will impact me in the future if I make this choice and all these things. Uh, it basically means that we're moving away from seeing products just as, as, as uh, yeah, how do you say it, relatively dumb items or static items to something that is, uh, yeah, is basically uh, a value that will impact a lot of other things. It's a network. Every product will become a network instead of an individual item. Vince, to bring this home to people, so literally to, into the home place, I've heard you talked yeah. about a light bulb being smart, that it knows who's sitting under it and when and for how long. Could you give us a few yeah. examples of that for the home place? For example, we have in the Netherlands, we have a, a, an architect called uh, Thomas Rau. Um, uh, and he basically says we got to move away from this product mindset of basically purchasing a light bulb and then uh, every uh, couple of years paying for, uh, for a new light bulb to only pay for uh, the result. So can we create a business model where uh, basically all the suppliers to this light bulb, uh, they get connected to the end user? Uh, and they constantly stay in this constant relationship that they feel valuable to each other. So, for example, uh, with the light bulb, you go into a contract that you want to have light in uh, your room of certain specifications. So, for example, uh, X-Lumen and uh, uh, this color and these kind of things. And you go into a contract with, uh, with suppliers to basically supply that no matter what technology they use. And it's up to them to constantly deliver that this, uh, this shines. And as soon as it doesn't shine anymore, the payment, for example, stops to them. So this is going to be, I think, a big shift moving away from 
if you put up a building or a house where we start uh, making all these choices about certain materials or all kinds of things where we see them now as individual products, we're going to start moving towards having uh, uh, only a focus on the end result of what these products will bring us. And we're going to move away from being focused on uh, on choosing all these things individually. Another thing is, I think the whole ownership model of these um, of these buildings, for example, will change. So uh, it will become possible, of course, if you tokenize your house or turn it into, um, for example, all the, the the components in your house. You put them, for example, with a certificate on the blockchain, and you start selling. That if you tear down your house in the near future, someone can purchase the right already to this component of your house. So for example, to these windows panes, or to these wooden panels, or to these floorboards. So you can start making markets already about every component of your building. Another thing is that I think you're going to build up this huge data profile probably uh, of of, uh, of how you live, how you uh, use your house, what your sleep cycle is, your phone does these things right now. Um, and all these things will start building these balances that you can use in other places constantly. I think uh, buildings are going to become these these data engines instead of static places of concrete and, uh, and wood. Another example is that if you look here at um, uh, at our campus again, we're now setting up an experiment, for example, where we... Um, where we basically, every time someone walks into a building, we start scraping their uh, their LinkedIn and their other uh, public profiles, and we start mapping out like keywords about who this person is. And we do this with uh, all the people that walk in and that walk out, and thereby we create this dynamic tag cloud of all the knowledge that is in the building that basically constantly shifts depending upon people walking in and out of the building. And then the next thing that we're going to do is that we're going to create like an, uh, a layer around this for, uh, for, for example, for our uh, rental prices, that we're going to create these search prices based on the knowledge that is present on that day in the building. So, for example, if you have uh, 50 blockchain experts in the building, it might be more valuable to me to work today in this building than if there were uh, 25 um, uh, AI experts in the building. Uh, and I can start experimenting with uh, the value of the building, not so much being in the the, the, the asset of the, the real estate, but more in the people and how it's used and uh, what is present in that moment. It becomes alive. And maybe, therefore, you will start having these, these high score rankings in an area where in the morning you decide, hey, today I want to work on uh, on cars. Where are the most car people gathering uh, today? And that's where I'm going to work. And you get like these, these, these liquid communities flowing around through uh, to certain uh, certain buildings for example i love that man and i was thinking when you were saying this how it really changes everything but there's still a lot of infrastructure that needs to change for this for people to be able to understand this and one of the main things i see needing to change is education and the way we teach people like we remove the imagination from people in schools we incentivize them to be doing rote tasks and to memorize things when yes. in the world of blockchain, imagination is one of the most important skills. How do you see that world changing, the world of education, and what skills do you see as necessary for the future? I think the, the scary part for me is, uh, is, is if, if you look at computer games, for example, that um, yeah, when I grew up, uh, you used to play with sticks uh, in, the, in the woods, so to say, and you used to pretend that the stick was almost every imaginable item that you could uh, think of. It could be... Uh, it could be a magic wand of a wizard, it could be a gun of a soldier, it could be anything. And right now, like most kids, they grow up with these fully, fully developed 3D worlds that already have everything mapped out. And they basically, for me, 
uh, you lose a lot of the, the, the imagination and creativity that you needed to come up with as a child that is already filled in by, by all these things that are, uh, that are fully rendered. So I think that's, that's something that we, we should not lose with children, that we uh, keep stimulating this creativity to use something that is really, really uh, basic and think of it that it could be anything. So focusing on creativity and curiosity in that sense, it's, 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 a, it's a magical thing. Another thing is, uh, I think the whole speed of innovation, but many people have said this, um, uh, yeah, this whole four-year cycle and then uh, depending upon this knowledge for many years, it's outdated, it's not working anymore, and we need to start shifting to a model where um, uh, basically you learn the skills to be curious and to, to find out things on your own. I think if you look at my uh, LinkedIn profile, I, um, uh, I always say I have a master's degree in uh, Google, Wikipedia, YouTube, and, uh, and interviewing expert people. Uh, because for me, it really is the, yeah, almost everything you need in life. Like uh, It's always there for the asking if you're curious. If you can trigger this curiosity in people, they will find their way out of anything. And this is something, uh, I don't have a clear answer how you can teach curiosity. But if we can trigger this with people, they will overcome uh, most of their things. And they should have this mindset that everything you do is temporary. We have this problem, I think, with maybe also with capitalism, where you've set up a company and you think it's going to grow for 100 years for ten, tens of percentages uh, uh, or dozens of uh, percentages growth a year or whatever. And it's, it's not natural. I think in, in nature, like every year, um, the leaves grow and the leaves fall off. And we need to start thinking about education in this similar cycle where you say, OK, I'm going to acquire this skill, I'm going to apply it and I'm going to let go of it again. It's a natural cycle to to make space again for something new, for something new to grow and for something new to start small and for something new to be excited about just how excited you were uh, the first time you learned uh, the previous skill. Because you always lose this enthusiasm if you, if you do something for too long. You lose this curiosity. And I, I see this with a lot of people that have the same job maybe for 10, uh, 10 15 years. They lost their curiosity. They're in this auto... Uh, uh, automated mode instead of uh, instead of going in it with the passion of a child, being uh, enthusiastic, curious, being uh, being driven by it. This is something we need to trigger. Absolutely, and our job as parents is to create the environment for curiosity to thrive and imagination to thrive. I was laughing to myself, Vince, when you were saying about yourself as a kid with a stick. And I was thinking, in the future, the blockchain will know you took that stick, <laughs> and you'll be char your yeah. parents will be charged extra for taking it off the off the yeah. tree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so. But, but for me, like as a child, I, like I, if you had a bucket, it could be a crown, it could be a drum, it could be anything. And, I, and now, if I, I I test it with children, the the moment you grow up is when the bucket only becomes the bucket. That that's like the the the. The scary part when you lose this, um, the, yeah, this magic, so to say. So I think we should go back to never losing this moment where it can be anything. Because once you start labeling everything in the world with just one thing, yeah, it loses, it loses its potential. And um, yeah. Hey, hey Amen, man, man. And we're yeah. on the same page. And you know, you were saying about planting the seeds for the future, and and, and I think you were doing that. I mean, you're, you know, you're one of these people who are at the cutting edge of the change of a paradigm in the world. And it must be such a fortunate and rewarding place to be. Definitely. And uh, I, I really also feel like 
it's now time to really show different business models and different approaches to things where, yeah, we can basically adopt this mindset that you have in software that you basically create a couple of lines of code, you share it open source and everyone around the world can start using it. And this is really this, this, this mindset, I think, that is different maybe to traditional ways of doing business or organizing things. It's this collaborative mindset that we can all benefit if we uh, if we start using our Lego blocks to get back to that metaphor to uh, to 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 have other people build upon. This is really something I I foresee in the near future that is going to accelerate everything. Once you start opening up the the the, the knowledge or the gain that you have to others, uh, you, you get this constant ping pong back and forth of uh, of improvement. And if we do this collectively, we can do uh, uh, way greater things than we're doing right now. Absolutely, Vince. Well, and where can people get in touch with you and find out more about your work? The easiest way is social media. So uh, Vince uh, means M-E-E-N-S. Um, I constantly spam about this topic, of course. <laughs> so so uh, it's, it's not difficult to, uh, to stay up to date. Another thing I would really like to emphasize is this project called Mobotic because we're really developing this uh, this open source, open hardware vehicle that anyone can build locally. It uses local energy, is locally financed, and all these vehicles, they will uh, basically have their own uh, uh, wallet on the blockchain and they will uh, make their own uh, income and they will uh, uh, start giving humans again the assignment to build the next vehicle. So for me, this is going to be like the test if we can create something that is not centrally controlled and if we can do it for something as tangible as mobility, I hope a lot of business models will uh, will start following with uh, with this approach and thereby we can start challenging the traditional centralized approach uh, in society. And if you do this once in one location and you open source it, then anyone in the world can start copying it and uh, improving on it and share their updates and their learnings constantly back and forth to each other. And if we do this collectively, we can change the world way quicker than any science fiction movie can predict. Well, that's a great way to finish, Vince. Vince means blockchain evangelist. If you win, we win. Thanks for joining us. Exactly. Thank you. Nice one, Vince.